today, and, and, and the reason I'm in kind of a hurry is because this message is really longer than I want, okay? So you guys buckle in. Um, if I could edit it down anymore, I would, but I'm afraid I'd leave something important out. I've, I've done the best I, I, I can to help us today launch into a new series on the Ten Commandments. And I hope you're ready for this. It's actually a series that I did several years ago before most of you were here. And I just felt led by the Lord uh, earlier this year to, to retool it and, and give it back to you again uh, in a fresh way. Um, I just That's where we're at. We have a lot of folks who are just beginning a journey with the Lord. And I want you to know that God has a plan lined up for you. These are the, this is the direction He wants your life to go in in order for you to experience all the blessings that He has in store for you. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But today we're starting a 10-week series on the Ten Commandments that I'm going to call the, the Ten, just the Ten, because it's cool, I guess. I don't know. Everything seems to be like the Four and the Five. Well, this is the Ten. Here we go. Why? Why are we doing a series on the Ten Commandments? Well, let me give you four quick reasons. Because, first of all, most of us don't know what the Ten Commandments are. Recent survey said that 60% of Americans can't even name five of the Ten Commandments. I had a little uh, test going in my room through open house this week at, uh, at Kingwood, and as students and families made their way through, I had on the board, you know, today's quiz... Uh, one of the questions was, list the Ten Commandments. And in a couple of classes, I stopped as I was sharing with them what we were going to do this year in our Bible class. I stopped and said, okay, let me ask you the question. List the Ten Commandments. Guess what? Now, these are church folks, right? These are kids going to a Christian school, right? You think any of them got it right? Absolutely not. They could name maybe one or two or three of the commandments, but that was about it. It's kind of sad. This is where we are. We're biblically illiterate, and that's why we sometimes find ourselves wandering around when God has clearly laid out for us a path that leads to blessing. Okay, These Ten Commandments are a path that will lead us to blessing. That's why we need to know them. We'll get into that as we go along in the next few weeks. Another reason why we're doing a ten-week series on the Ten Commandments is because they are the words of a perfectly holy God to His people, who He is calling to be holy even as He is holy. I mean, these are the words of God, right? It's pretty important that we listen carefully to what God has to say if we want to be God's people, right? Third, another reason. Because these Ten Commandments are moral principles that give us our best hope for life, freedom, and happiness. This is the path that leads to blessing. And obeying these commandments will keep us on that path that takes us deeper and deeper and deeper into the presence of God and into the blessings of God. Don't you want to go there? Another reason, maybe the most important reason of all why we are going to study the Ten Commandments is because they lead us to Christ. These commandments lead us to Christ by revealing just how sinful we really are. Sometimes we think we're pretty good people. But then when we start looking at these Ten Commandments, we realize, oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not as good as I think I am. My language isn't as pure as I thought it was. My actions and behaviors toward other people aren't as righteous as I like to think they are. 
And these Ten Commandments have a way of exposing those areas in our life where we're still selfish and hateful and ugly to one another, where, we, where, where we're still um, resistant to God's work in our life. These commandments have a way of just showing us up. As John said Wednesday, um, these, uh, we are, how did you say that, John? We're broken by the word? What, what, how, what's that phrase you? What does Chuck Swindoll say? Yeah, we don't break the Ten Commandments, we're broken by them. And these, these Ten Commandments have a way of revealing Christ to us by leading us to Christ, and it helps us realize how dependent we are on Him and His grace and His power to live for God as God would have us live for Him. Does that make sense? It makes us realize, I can't, I can't obey God in my own strength. If I try to obey God and live for God in my own strength, I'm going to fall every time. But if I will trust Christ to live His life through me, i got a shot at this. I can do this. So it helps us to realize how dependent we are on Christ. Now I want you to understand something as we get started. God didn't give us the Ten Commandments as a means of salvation. The Ten Commandments were given to a people that had already been saved. If you remember the story of the Israelites, they served as slaves in Egypt for about 400 years, and then God raised up a man named Moses that He used to lead His people into, uh, into freedom toward the Promised Land. But there were a series of events that took place. The last event, the last of, of the ten plagues, was the death of the firstborn. God sent an angel across the, the land of Egypt, and it was going to be His final sign to Pharaoh. He needed to let the people of God go. And if you remember, the Israelites were commanded or told, if you, will, if you will kill a lamb and place its blood on the doorposts of your house, the death angel will pass over your home and you will be spared. You'll be rescued from death. Remember how that story goes? How many of you have seen the Ten Commandments movie? Charlton Heston. Okay. Well, probably a little bit cooler than that, you know, the real thing. But anyway, so... So if you remember, that's when, the, that's when Pharaoh said, when, when all the firstborn among the, the Egyptians had died uh, because they didn't have the covering of the blood over their homes, Pharaoh said, you guys can go, okay? So, so uh, Moses gets the people of Israel together, and in the middle of the night, they take off because they have been told by Pharaoh it's okay. They take off. They head toward the Red Sea. Pharaoh says, wait a minute, what am I doing? And then he... he he calls an army together, and they begin to chase the Israelites. You've seen the movie, so you know what I'm talking about, right? You need to go back and read it. It's even better when you read it. Anyway, the, book's, the book is always better than the movie. Always. So, so Moses takes them across the Red Sea. Remember, he put, plants his staff down. And, or he, No, he speaks to, the, speaks to the water, the water parts, and the Israelites go across on dry land, kind of symbolizing a baptism of sorts, if you will. Well, what I want you to understand is the Ten Commandments were given to the Israelites after God had saved them and rescued them from their slavery in Egypt. Let me tell you something. You will not be saved by keeping the Ten Commandments. First of all, you can't do it. Thank God for His grace. The Ten Commandments are given to a people that have already re been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you have put your faith, we are saved by what? By grace through faith. We talked about that last week. 
We are saved by grace through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, right? These commandments are given to people like you and me who have already been saved. It's in these Ten Commandments though we find out how to properly relate to God and properly relate to one another. It makes our relationships healthy. Wouldn't you like to live a life where you enjoyed healthy relationships with God and healthy relationships with everybody else? What a difference that would make in your life, right? Well, that's what God does when He gives, us, gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments. He's giving, giving those commandments to a people who have already been set free, and He's now trying to tell them, look, you've been living as slaves. You don't even really know how to get along. You've not really been in a relationship with me before. You've not really been in healthy relationships ever before. Well, now I'm going to show you how. I'm going to show you how to live. You get that? Now, how many of you have spent the vast majority of your life in bondage to something else? Sin, addiction, whatever. How many of you have recently been set free by the blood of Jesus Christ into a new life? Well, these commandments are for you because God wants you to know how to live well. So, he, so that you can experience the blessings that He has for you. These, these commandments will not save you, but they will certainly make your life a whole lot better. Especially if you're walking in the power of Jesus who gives you the ability to follow these commandments as you grow and mature in Him. You guys, you guys with me so far? So these, these commandments are for saved people. Okay? They're for saved people. God gave us the ten so that we would know His will and live out His plan for our lives. If you're looking for the will of God, if you want to know what His plan for your life is, start here. Start right here. God gave us the ten, not to hurt us, not to steal the joy out of our lives, God gave us the ten to help us. Not to hinder us, but to release us into a life of blessing. Not to punish us, but to protect us from harm. That's why God gives us His commands. These ten, ten commandments. If you could just get this through your mind as you start this journey with Christ. Every time God has given you a command to obey, it's to bless you and to protect you. To bless you and to protect you. It's not to harm you. It's not to hurt you. It's not to hinder you. It is to bless you and to protect you. And who knows better than God about what you should do in order to be blessed and protected from the dangers of the world. Amen? Right? I mean, think about it. When we tell our children, don't touch that hot stove, are we doing it for their good or ours? Don't touch that hot stove. You're not saying it for your sake. You're saying it for the child's sake, right? In the same way, every time God says don't, in the Bible, it's always for a positive purpose. Always. Now, the negatives that God gives us, are, they're always for our, for our benefit, and if we ignore them, it's only to our detriment and to our harm. You can't ignore these commands. Well, you can, but you shouldn't. Many of us do ignore His commands, unfortunately. But if you do ignore them, if you do neglect them, it's only to, it will only lead to your to harm in some way. Deuteronomy 6 says this, Never forget these commands that I'm giving you. Never forget these commands that I'm giving you, and yet we as American Christians can't name a handful of them. You think that might explain some of the weakness we experience in our faith, in our 
some of the powerlessness we have in our lives, some of the reasons why we divorce at just the same rates as the world around us? You think because we have forgotten these commandments that maybe that's the, res- that's the cause of so many of the issues that we as Christians have? I'm afraid so. God goes on to say to teach them to your children. I want you to re- see the, just a couple things in this passage of Scripture. God says that there are two things here we've got to do. We've got to remember these commands and we've got to teach them. So I want to ask you right up front as we get into this, uh, into this series, excuse me, as we get into this series, how many of you try to live by the Ten Commandments? Awesome. Now what if I asked you to name them? Could you? Yeah, Elisa, I see one hand. You want me to put you to test? <laughs> and how do we obey them? I mean, how do we live these commandments out in a world that's just so hostile to God? And that's what we're going to talk about. I want us to get real practical this, this, over these ten weeks. I want to get down to the nitty-gritty of what it looks like to follow God with all of your heart, what it looks like to truly obey God, at least as, as it comes to us in these Ten Commandments. I want you to understand something. These aren't ten suggestions. These are ten commandments. They're not ten recommendations. These are ten commandments that God has given us. They're not optional for us. We're going to talk some more about this because there's, there's this stupid rumor floating around that we don't have to live by the law anymore. All right? <laughs> We're going to talk about that in, in weeks to come. These rules are for our own good. And if you don't obey them, you run the great risk of messing up your life, messing up your family, messing up the plan that God has for you. So let's read, let's read the passage of Scripture where we find the Ten Commandments first. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, And it says this, And God spoke all these words. Who spoke them? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So this is for a a saved people, amen? People that have already been redeemed from their sin. They're bondage to slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but He rested on the seventh day. Boy, that that preaches. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Those first four commands have to do with our relationship with God, but now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of the relationships we have with one another. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And I heard moms everywhere say, thank you. You shall not murder. That's why the Lord hates what happened in Charlottesville yesterday. The anger and violence and hatred on display in those riots yesterday is absolutely abhorrent to God. And we ought to speak out against it, and I do in no uncertain terms. No racism, no hatred, no anger, no violence. It's not in our nature, it's not in our character, or at least it should not be. 
Well, that's another sermon for another day. You, uh, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his maidservant, excuse me, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much and I thank you for your word. I thank you for its clarity. There is no doubt about what you're telling us. There's no shadow here. You speak clearly, you speak forthrightly, you speak truthfully to a people. And I pray that our ears would be eager to hear what you have to say, not just so that we can fill our minds with knowledge, but so that we can put it into practice in our lives. Help us to understand, each of us in the context of our own life, how these commandments apply to us. And help us, God, with all diligence and in all faithfulness, live our lives according to these laws that you have given us that so clearly lay out the boundaries and the pathway that we should follow Him. We give you glory. I thank you for the Spirit of God that's in this place. I thank you for hungry hearts that are here. And I thank you that you said that the righteous, those who are hungry for righteousness will be filled. And that's the desire of my heart today. So get me out of the way and speak through me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the order of the Ten Commandments isn't haphazard. It's not accidental. God intentionally puts the first commandment first because it's the most important one. This is really one we got to get. And the Bible re refers to this first commandment all throughout, uh, all throughout the, the text of the Bible in many, many different ways. I'm not going to point all of those out. But I want you to see specifically what that first commandment says. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. I don't know how much clearer he could state it than he does right here. What's the principle? What's the underlying principle here? Put God first. Make sure God comes first. Put God first. No one else comes even close to God's rightful place in your life. God says, I demand top priority in your life. I'm not gonna, God says, I'm not going to play second fiddle to anything else. Not even Alabama football and Nick Saban, nothing comes close. I should have got those. I was hoping for a laugh there, but I didn't get it. <laughs> That's too serious, right? Roll Tide. You know, and, and God deserves to be number one, does He not? God deserves to be number one because He's the one that made us. He's our Creator. We owe everything to Him. He, he, he deserves number one because He's also the one who knows what's best for us. If it weren't for God, we wouldn't even be here today. We wouldn't have taken a breath this morning. We couldn't have gotten out of bed this morning without God. We know that instinctively. Most people I know understand that and will admit to that. Everything we have in this life comes from God. Everything. Now what does it mean to have no other gods before me? Who or what are these other gods? I thought, Mark, that there was only one God. Well, guess what? The human heart is an idol factory. We like to produce all kinds of little gods. And we'll make a god out of anybody or anything. Right? 
The word God here is written with a small g, and he's not talking about the God. He's talking about little gods. What's a little God? What's a little g God? A little g God is anything that dominates our lives, anything that controls us, anything that demands our allegiance above, above everything else, including the God. Can a career or a job be a little g God? Yeah, absolutely can. Can another person or a group of people, even our family, be a little g-god? Absolutely can. Can video games or fishing or football be a little g-god? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, even the good things that God has blessed us with, even the good things that God has created us to enjoy become little g-gods when they take first place in our life. And the only one who deserves first place in our life is the God, big g-god. Everything else should come way down the pike. That's what Jesus said when He said, if you follow Me, you've got to hate your mom and your dad. What? He's not saying literally hate your mom and dad. What He is saying, He's speaking, he's speaking using a, a, a hyperbole. Thank you very much. The, the word escaped me. Hyperbole. What He's saying is in relation to the love you have for your mom and dad, your love for Me ought to be whoo, shooting through the roof. Because I come first, He says. I come first. God says, put me first. Put me first, and don't let these other things push me off my rightful place in your life. It happens to us all the time, doesn't it? We get so distracted so easily with the things in this, in this life. Listen, the foundation for a life that's lived for the glory of God, the foundation for a life that's filled with His blessing and favor is to put God Jesus said it in Matthew 6.33. He said, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these other things will be given to you as well. We've got to make sure that our priorities are lined up with the priorities of God. He must be first in our life. Or our life will begin to fall down around us. I've seen it happen time and time again. Lorna, Lorna and I served as youth pastors for several years in Ozark, Alabama. And when we first moved there, would you go get me some water? My mouth is so dry. Thank you, Chris. When we first moved to Ozark, we started looking for a house. And our realtor took us around to all these different neighborhoods, but he told us up front, he said, you need to be careful because many of the houses in Ozark had been built on faulty foundations. And sure enough, there was one house that we found in the little realtor book, and we, man, that looks so good. And so we talked to our realtor about it. He said, sure, I'll show that to you. He took us to the house. And from the street looking at the house, it looked fine. It looked good. And we thought, maybe this is the one. So that he, the, the realtor took us up to the house and let us inside. And as we began to examine the house, actually, it didn't take us long at all we began to notice some cracks running through the walls. And above the door frame, there was a, a hole, a big enough crack that I could have stuck my fist through it. Around every window, you could see fissures and cracks going down the sheetrock. And uh, um, the, the floors, the floors were all doing this number. It's like you're walking on, a, you know, you'd be stumbling because you, you, you thank you, sir, I appreciate it very much. You see, that the foundation of the house has shifted. When it was built, when the builder first built it, it probably looked good for about a year or so. But then the foundation began to fail, and the cracks began to show themselves, and the house began to shift, 
And suddenly the house that once looked so good, even looked good still from the street, inside was falling apart. Can I tell you something? I see a lot of people like that. I mean, out here from streets, from street level, they look really good. But as you get to know them better and better, you find out, oh my Lord, there's so much dysfunction in their life. They're on the verge of just literally falling apart. Marriages that look really good from the outside, but when you get to see how that husband and wife interact, oh man, it's a mess. Am I being honest here? Too many of us, like those builders in Ozark, are building their lives on a bad foundation. It may look good from the outside, but on the inside, it is falling apart. You need to learn to build your house on the right foundation, and the right foundation starts right here, putting God first. As a matter of fact, can I tell you something? When you put God first, it clears a lot of clutter out of the way. Suddenly, I don't have to please everybody else. I only have to please one person. I don't have to obey all these other voices coming at me. All I've got to do is listen to that one voice. I mean, it clears a lot of clutter out of the way. You want to build your life right, that's where it starts. Putting God first. And I'm, I'm praying, that that's, that's my prayer here as we get started. I want you to understand, especially those of you who are just starting your walk with the Lord, there are going to be so many people telling you what to do and how to do it, and I want you to know right up front, let them, let them speak into your life, but when it's all said and done, the one voice you need to hear above all the others is the voice of the Holy Spirit inside your heart saying, this is the way, walk in it. This is the way, walk in it. Frankly, the rest of it doesn't matter. You get this wrong, <laughs> it's just a matter of time before the foundation starts shifting. How do we put God first? Let's get real practical. Really, really practical. We're going to look at some practical aspects of how we can put God first in our life. And some of this you're not going to like. Because it flies in the face of what this culture tells you and probably flies in the face of what some other uh, Bible teachers have said. But you can, we, we can talk about any of this afterwards. I just want to be really frank with you and, and practical with you as we get into this, okay? How do we put God first? I'm going to take a little cue from Celebrate Recovery. I spent... 12 years, Cindy, how long was it? 12 years? Every Thursday, right here. Actually, sitting right back there where Darian is sitting, running PowerPoint and sound. Um, thank you, Darian, for all you do. You never get... She's so sweet and humble. Um, I'm going to take a page out of Celebrate Recovery's handbook, and I'm going to make an acrostic out of the word first. You can follow me that way and think about it later when you get home. First, I'm going to take each letter in the word first, and uh, I'm going to share with you five ways that you can put God first in your life, okay? The F stands for finances. Oh, money. <laughs> money. Relax. This is the most difficult and most controversial topic, probably, that we could talk about in church. But God wants us to put Him first in our finances. So I've got to talk about it. I don't want to duck it and dodge it and shuck it and jive it. I want to talk to you about finances for just a moment. Put God first in your finances. Proverbs 3 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, 
with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. What God is saying here is give back to me the first part of your income, and I'm going to bless you with all the rest. Now, Scotty and I were just talking about this before service. He didn't know that this was going to be part of the sermon, but he was talking about giving to the Lord, and I hope that many of you are, have, are learning to give to the Lord. And I want you to know something here as we begin to talk about finances. Did you know this? That God, taught, uh, Jesus, excuse me, spoke more about money than He did about heaven or hell? I, thought, I think people last week were surprised when I, when I told you that Jesus spoke more about hell than heaven. Well, He spoke more about money than He did about heaven and hell. Why? Why? Because Jesus knows that money is his main rival for our affections. Let's, let's, most people, I say most people, a lot of people, when given an opportunity to work overtime on a Sunday morning or go to church on a Sunday morning, what are they going to do? Work overtime. Why? Because they love work. And they can't get enough and they're going to meet God there. Honestly, think about it. A lot of people, every time they're given a choice between making a little more money or getting a little bit more time with God or even their family, what are they going to choose? Money, man. It can wrap our hearts up so quick. It becomes that little G God before we ever knew it. A lot to say about that. And I could, you know, that's another sermon. But, Jesus knows that money is his main rival for our affections. And he says in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your affections will follow your investments. Get it? My affections and my attention is going to follow whatever I'm investing in. When my boys were in Alabama and I was paying all that tuition, you better believe it. I was heavily invested in Alabama, and my affections and my attention were there too. Actually, my boys, but you know what I'm talking about. Our hearts, our affection, our devotion will follow our money. When we invest in something, we're actually giving a piece of our hearts to it because that money represents our time, our talent, and our, our, our energy that we use in order to make that money, right? So it is, in many ways, a little piece of us. But let me, let me say this. If it's true that where your treasure is, your heart will be also, well, this, then this must be true as well. If I see your checkbook, I'm going to show you who or what is really important to you. If you will show me your checkbook, I'll quickly discover who and what is most important to you. Right? If where your treasure is, your heart is also, that means if I get a look at your credit card statements, I'm going to know what you're spending your money on, and what you're spending your money on reveals to me what you really love. Does that make sense? No, I'm not going to ask to do that. Because that's totally between you and the Lord. The way we spend our money reveals what's really important to us. And if I were to ask all of you to get out that checkbook right now and pass it to the person next to you and let them examine it, what would it reveal to them about you? 
<laughs> I don't want to know. Keep that to yourself. I'm just saying, it's a rhetorical question. You see, the way we spend our money says what has first place in our lives. It really does. It reveals what really, what we really love and what we really care about. In the Old Testament now, in order to break that bondage from money and finances and all that comes with it, in the Old Testament, God instructs His people to tithe. Okay, what's a tithe? A tithe is one-tenth of a person's income given to the Lord as an act of worship to support God's work and, and the ministries of God. Why a tithe? De Deuteronomy 14.23 says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to fear the Lord your God. The reason God has instructed us to give is so that it breaks us free from the bondage of materialism and looking at money and, and thinking of it as, as our little g-god and helps us to put our trust where our trust really belongs, in God. God established the tithe as a way to teach His people to put Him first in their lives. That's the reason the tithe was established. But in the New Testament, this is where I want you to follow me. Because I will... I'm sure many of you have grown up with the tithe being the uh, instructions that we as New Testament Christians are to follow. And, and I, I'm not going to argue with anybody, but I, I see it another way. I don't believe that tithing is a requirement for us as New Testament believers, but I want you to follow me here. In the New Testament, the word tithe appears only eight times. And it's always in the context of the Old Testament Jewish practice. When you get into Paul's letters, it's never mentioned at all. Or any of the other epistles given in the, world, in, in the New Testament. Christians, listen, listen carefully, and, and this, this may spark debate and argument, and I don't, I'll be willing to talk to anybody about it and discuss it more. But Christians are never commanded to tithe in the New Testament. Never. But we are taught to give, to give, to give. Say it with me, give. Give. We are never more like God than when we give. The tithe is a strict law given to the Old Testament believers to set them free. We have been commanded to give. And I think sometimes in our misunderstanding of the tithe, we've come to believe, we look at it almost like a tax. If I give my 10%, then I'm good with God. And I would say, oh no, according to the New Testament, if you give, and you only give 10% when you're able to give much more, that's an argument we can have, okay? We're not going to get off into that right now. Here's what I believe the New Testament teaches, how the New Testament teaches us to put God first in our giving. You can look these passages of Scripture up for, you, for yourself, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We are to give willingly, not because there's a gun being held to our head or we're being manipulated into it. We should give willingly, generously, systematically, that means regularly, joyfully, and in proportion to our income. And I believe that when we put God first this way, when we give as God wants us to, it teaches us to honor God. It teaches us that God still has first place in my life because I'm willing to just give freely. From all the abundance that I've been blessed, I'm able to just give, give that away. Because this money doesn't define me. This money doesn't hold me captive. 
God is my provider. Freely I've given, freely I've received, freely I give. And if you're in a financial mess right now, I'm going to hurry along with some of these others, but if you're in a financial mess right now, I mean, really, if your finances are all upside down, it's probably because you haven't put God first in your finances. And that's what you need to do. You need to sit down and figure out, how am I spending my money? What am I spending it on? And is that really where my money needs to go? Is that really what I love most in my life? And if I do, what's that say about me? And the kind of person I am? And the kind of heart that I have? Does that make sense? You're looking at me. Okay, let's move on. Giving like God wants us to is an act of worship. The, the I, the I in first stands for interests. Putting God first in our interests. If God's really going to be number one, we've got to put him first in our finances, and we've got to put him first in our interests. That means that God, that means that we need to put God first in our fun times, our play times, our recreational times, our hobbies, and our pastimes. First Corinthians chapter 10 says this. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, say whatever you do, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Does that mean you can take a vacation for the glory of God? Absolutely. I encourage you to take a vacation. I encourage you to take a break, get away from the routines and the ruts of life, and breathe deep and relax. It's good for you. Does that mean we can eat for the glory of God? I hope so, because I'm going to eat after, after lunch or after worship service today with our staff, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to do that for the glory of God. Share a meal together. Nothing like sharing a meal together. Enjoying good fellowship. Can you play disc golf for the glory of God? Yeah, man. I don't get to do nearly enough of it. Can you watch football for the glory of God? Some of you do, some of you don't. I've seen those Facebook videos. I mean, you can go camping, you can go hunting, you can go fishing for the glory. You can even go to Six Flags for the glory of God. You can. How do you do that? How can you do any of it for the glory of God? How do we put God first in our times and fun times and hobbies and recreations and recreational activities? I'm just going to throw a couple questions out to you. Ask yourself these questions as you engage in these interests that you enjoy. Does this interest take away from something more important, like your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, your kids, your church, your responsibilities? If this interest is taking you away on a, on a regular basis from, from uh, something that's more important, then maybe you need to look at and see if this interest is really for the glory of God. Does that make sense? Is this interest a source of pain and conflict with those who care about me most? Is this interest, this hobby I'm engaged in, is it causing you and your wife to fight all the time about it? Is that, what are you saying to your wife if that's the case? What are you saying to your husband if that's the case? You're telling them that I find this hobby way more important than I find you. Is that really the message you want to convey to your spouse? I would hope not. A third question, can I thank God for this interest and confidently say, hey, I thank God for it. It's hard to thank God for something you're involved in, if it really goes against what God wants you to do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Finances, interests, the R stands for relationships. If we want God first in our lives, then we have to choose our friends carefully. Uh, I should have gotten an amen there from some of you guys. If you want 
God, if you, if you want God to be first in your lives, you've got to choose your friends carefully. What does putting God first in your life have to do with your friendships? Proverbs 13.20 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Old youth pastor saying, Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. We tend to become just like the people we spend the most time with. And if we spend time with friends who ignore or neglect God, then sooner or later we're going to become, we're going to begin to ignore or neglect God too. But if we spend time with people who are committed to God and take God seriously, then we're going to become stronger in our faith. We're going to become more committed Christians. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Look around. Next time you're hanging out with a group of people, look around. Is that really who you want to be? Proverbs 12, 26 says, A righteous man is cautious in friendship. Cautious in friendship. If you want to put God first in your life, then there are some relationships that are absolutely dead wrong for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Sit in a barbershop long enough, you're going to have a haircut. And listen, I'm telling you, this is absolutely true. I've seen this happen. The two greatest pitfalls, the two greatest pitfalls for new believers, money and friends, money and relationships. Relationships, when I say that, I'm also including sexual ones. But, but so, listen, listen, those of you who are new in your walk with the Lord, look, you're fooling yourself if you think the devil isn't savvy enough, strategic enough to send people your way who will lead you away from God. You better... Be cautious in your friendships. I mean, they may look right. They're in the recovery meetings, but you guys know that everybody that comes to a recovery meeting is not really in recovery, right? And the person that wants so desperately to be your sponsor <laughs> may have ulterior motives. Have you figured that one out yet? Be careful. Be careful. So many times I've seen devoted followers of Jesus drift away from the Lord because they chose their friendships poorly. I mean, they, you know, they may want to get married, but they get drawn away by a person who doesn't share their values or their faith. And they find themselves locked into a relationship filled with regrets. I've seen it happen time and time and time again. So I'm not speaking uh, as someone who hasn't been around the block a time or two. Choose your friends carefully. Put God first in all of your relationships. The S stands for your schedule. Put God first in your schedule. Put Him first in your finances. Put Him first in your interests, in your relationships, and in your schedule. Make sure that God has a place of prominence in your calendar. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Your minutes, the minutes that come at you so quickly over the course of a day, each one of those minutes is invaluable because once it's gone, it's gone. You never get it back. So make sure you make your time count. How can we put God first in our schedules? First of all, ask Him to help you use your time wisely. Ask Him to help you use your... That's my prayer every morning. God, this day is filled with potential to be a blessing to other people. I want to fulfill the potential, all the potential this day holds to bring you glory. Help me to use my time wisely today. Every minute that comes your way, if it's not spent well, it's wasted on something. You never get it back. 
Ask God to help you set your priorities according to His priorities. God has a plan for your life each day, and He will lead you and guide you through that day. He gives you just enough time each day to work toward its fulfillment. Use your time wisely and well. Second, make and keep appointments with God. That's why Sunday morning gatherings, 10 o'clock, are so important. That's why Wednesday nights are so important. That's why these one another groups that are meeting and, and, and more are beginning to, meeting, to meet are so important. That's why your personal daily devotional time is so important. You need to make and keep your appointments with God. It sets you up for good things. It sets you up to experience the grace of God, to, uh, to uh, glean from the wisdom of God. It sets you up for good things. It's funny how we'll set an appointment with, with God, I'm gonna meet, but then something else comes along, and before you know it, we've ditched God for somebody else. Come on, you think about it. You just ditched God. You, you, you stood up God so that you could hang out with, I don't know, somebody else. Wait, what? You just sent a message. You just sent a message to yourself. That person, that event, that thing is more important than my God. <laughs> Another mess. I got to move on. Sometimes we get so busy. Sometimes it's, we're so easily distracted that these appointments with God, they get axed from our schedule. And uh, it's these appointments that we make with God that we need to keep. Jeremiah 21.32 says this. This is God speaking to His people. Does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number. That's God speaking to us when we set up appointments with Him and then ditch Him. I mean, the most important part of our schedule every day should be time we spend with God. If we put God first in our life and family, we've got to make, him, make sure He's first in our schedule. Finally, okay? Finances, interests, relationships, schedule, troubles. T is troubles. We need to put God first in our finances. We need to put God first in our interests, our relationships, and our schedule. And we need to make sure that God, we put God first in our troubles. You see, often when we find ourselves in trouble, and when we face unexpected problems and pressures, and when we find ourselves in a crisis, God's about the last one we turn to. We go running to the counselor, we go running to the sponsor, we go running to, you know, whatever. We go running to a friend who's in the same predicament we are. I never have understood that. Where do teenagers get their romantic advice from other teenagers for crying out loud. You think they got it together? There's mess, you know what I'm saying? It's, we do that. We, we, we go running to people who are as messed up as we are to get their advice on something. When God is just as close as the mention of his name. When God has said, if you need wisdom, ask for it. First Peter 5 7 says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. God is saying, when you're in trouble, don't go running everywhere else. Come running to me. Put Him first in your trouble. Now for many people, troubles become an excuse to run away from God. Don't they? Maybe it's because of, of you know, feeling shame or, or, or guilt or something. Maybe, maybe they think God's mad at them or, uh, may, and, and they just want to run away and hide. But what God wants us to do is when we're in trouble, run to Him, not from Him. 
Psalm 50.15 says, Then call on me when you are in trouble, and I will what? Rescue you. And you'll give me glory. How many of you know that to be a fact? You found yourself in trouble, and you had in times past run away, but suddenly you were... God has a way of pinning us, doesn't he, into a corner? And say, okay, you got to slow down and look at me now. And when we get like that, it's like then he comes to our rescue. And he pulls us out of this pit, out of this mess we've made. When we put God first in our times of trouble, he turns our troubles into testimonies. And we're able to share. Most, I love listening to your stories of what God has done for you. Those stories inspire me to keep moving, to keep going, to keep growing in the Lord. Look. I'm going to ask Micah to come back, and we're going to spend a little bit more time in worship before we dismiss. This, this message is long, and I'm sorry about that. I, I guess I'm sorry about that. Not really. I, I did the best I could, and I got off on rabbit trails. I tried hard not to. And Look, the key, the key to a happy, healthy, fulfilling, significant, secure life begins right here. It begins right here. Put God first. Put God first. You need to understand something. The enemy of your soul, this whole world, is constructed in such a way Every strategy, every tactic the devil has devised is devised with one purpose in mind, and that is to get your affection and your attention off of God and onto something else. He will try to do it by distracting you with the little glittering things that are around us. He'll try to do it by distracting you with the offers and the promises of more money and more fame and more whatever. Or he will do it by leading, by deceiving you and, and getting you to think that uh, this way is this way is better. It's a, it's a shortcut. Shortcut is a wicked word. Every time I take a shortcut, I end up getting lost. Spiritually speaking, there are no shortcuts. The map is laid out in the Word of God. Follow it. Stop looking for shortcuts. There are no easier ways. There are no straighter paths. This is it. Walk in it. He either tries to, the enemy tries to distract us or deceive us or lead us into disobedience. And I'm telling you, man, the only way to be happy in this life, reasonably happy in this life, and supremely happy in the next life, is to put God first. Put God first. Again, Jesus in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these other things will be added to you as well. Now I'm not a fool and I'm not living in some kind of delusion. I realize that there are some people in this room that haven't yet made a commitment to Christ Jesus who made this path of blessing available to us. 
You will not be able to put God first in your own strength. You can't do it. You're not going to be able to keep these Ten Commandments. You're not going to be able to live this life as God intends you to live it on your own. You have got to surrender your life to Christ. You have got to repent of your rebellion and your sin and turn to Christ in faith and receive from Him by grace a new heart, a new mind, a new lifestyle. In order to put God first, you've got to first surrender to Christ and His claims on your life. And I encourage you to do that today and I'll be up front to pray with you if that's what you choose to do. If you're tired of wasting your life, if you are ready to step into the life that God created you to enjoy, today's your day. Trust in Christ. Let Him set you free to live this life of fulfillment and promise. There are also people in this room. You've been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. You've trusted Him, but you've gotten off track. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart right now, you're beginning to realize that something else has taken God's rightful place in your life and heart. And your affection and your attention are directed toward the things of this world or someone else in this world and not to God Himself. And I'm praying that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would bring you to a correction in the direction of your life. Put God first. Put God first. Put Him first in every area of your life. Is He first? Is He first? Is He first in your life? Spirit of God, speak to your people. Speak to your people.